0: Hello and welcome back to Thrive in the New World, the six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Ulster Bank. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and today we're coming to you remotely with a special edition of the podcast focusing on the challenges in the agri-food sector and how our local producers have adapted. Remember, you can listen back to all of our previous episodes in the series so far on your favourite podcast app, and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with new episodes. Well, today I'm joined by Cormac McCurvey, Ulster Bank's senior agriculture manager, and Michelle Sherlow, the chief executive of Food NI. Cormac, Michelle, welcome to the podcast.
1: How are you? Hello, sir. Very well, yeah?
0: Very well, thank you. So, Cormac has been with Ulster Bank for almost two decades. He works closely with farmers across Northern Ireland and is Ulsterbank's resident agriculture expert, lending his knowledge and expertise in the sector to its business development managers to help farmers grow and expand their businesses. A member of the farming community himself, Cormac also owns his own small suckling farm. Our second guest, Michelle Sherlow, is the chief executive of the representative body Food NI, which exists to showcase the finest food and drink Northern Ireland has to offer. And what an incredible offering our local producers have to give from artisanal preserves to the best craft beers and everything in between. Cormac and Michelle, we are delighted to have you both with us, two sector experts who can really shed a light on the challenges and opportunities in the agri-food sector from farm to fork. So Cormac, if I come to you first of all, the COVID-19 crisis has had a profound effect on every sector. But how much impact has it had on the farming community?
1: Well Sarah, initially there was a very significant impact particularly on the milk and the beef sectors with fallen prices. Um, there was issues with carcass imbalance. There was slower throughput through the processing plants all which could have a serious impact on, on, at farm level. However, with more people at home, the retailers saw a huge surge in demand and that, coupled with the processing sector quickly adapting to provide more food into those retailers, then prices rebounded. Um, and truthfully, the UK public also probably recognised that farmers did play a key role in keeping those supermarket shelves full and were now appear to be more loyal to locally produced food. So the impact overall has been generally mostly neutral, maybe slightly positive in some cases. Um, but I suppose I would also add that it wasn't just um, a financial impact. Um, there was also the, the whole health worry. Um, farmers didn't have the option of being furloughed. You know, animals still needed to be fed. Cows had to be calved. Mews had to be lammed. Most, most of them are sole traders. And um, I suppose there was that risk that if they fell ill, who would cover? So we actually had farmers you know, that were using their mobile phone to record their daily tasks around the farm in the unlikely event or unfortunate event, if they did go down with COVID, that at least somebody else could come in and, and pick up and try and, and run the business. But there was an awful lot of um, fear and and just general concern and stress of the impact on the on the daily routine of the farm.
0: Would you say though that farmers then have coped uh, really well given the upsurge in demand for for product and produce? And then, I suppose, being revolutionary in the way that they deal with it. Technology has, has been a lifeline, I'm sure, for many farmers.
1: As it has for everybody, but certainly you're quite right. So, you know, that example of using a mobile phone just to, to, to actually track what they do day and daily that um, they could hand over to somebody else if needs be. But um, all of us probably have adapted, you know, to the, this, um, for example, where we're do doing now working remotely, um, Zoom calls, farmers are able to, you know, register the calves online, um, do their banking online. So... Um, That has happened an awful lot. You know, this happened maybe 10 years ago. Certainly things could have been an awful lot worse in terms of just that day-to-day routine.
0: Mm-hmm. And Michelle, as we all know, the Balmoral show, the hearts of the agri-food community in Northern Ireland, was of course cancelled this year, like many other events, after initially being postponed. And like many of the farmers that Cormac uh, works closely with, the show is also a key date in the calendar for many of the local food and drink producers represented by your organisation, Food NI. How much of an impact would you say COVID-19 has had on your members and indeed losing the Balmoral show this this year?
2: Well, the Balmoral show was a big blow. Um, Sarah, as you know, it's where people get the opportunity to show the innovation, their new products, what they've been doing throughout the year. Um, but the members adapted quickly. And from the point of view of food producers, I mean, it's been really impressive how they've found alternative routes to market. and. One really interesting piece of feedback from retailers throughout the pandemic has been the way the local food producers delivered, you know, on time. Um, They have been actually saying the praises of local producers and saying that they really stepped up to the bar and showed, I think, what a strong collective they really, really are. Um, And they pulled together and they made sure that there was food and drink in, in the supermarkets for us to buy. I mean, it's been very, very tough for people supplying hospitality. But even even they adapted and, and it, it's not that it was all perfect, certainly there was a lot of innovation and a lot of ingenuity demonstrated right across um, all the food sectors. Um, and all the drink sectors,
0: and I suppose as well, Michelle. So many people at home were were cooking. I'm thinking of myself. Um, you know, we we hadn't a lot to do. Those of us who were at home for a long periods of time. So the meal of the day became a big focus for people. And I know that an awful lot of the the local food producers, as you say, were delivering or getting calls from people who would maybe say, you know, how how can I get hold of this particular product? So they've reached people in a different way.
2: They have. And I mean if there's anything good to come out of a terrible situation, I think the focus on cooking at home has been very, very important. Um a lot of the producers, like I myself was buying, you know, broider gold grapeseed oil um online and, and I was buying jams and teas and different things, getting them delivered to the house. But I think it gave people time to stop and to really think about their diet, what goes into their food. And I think a couple of things coming out of the pandemic that um, were there before but are even more exacerbated now, I think, are around healthy food, a healthy diet, and um, a sustainable diet, and the impact that we have on the environment in producing our food. And I think those are areas where Northern Ireland can have an advantage um, because we're very... uh, with We're much more, I think we're much more natural landscape than many other parts of the UK. Um, But we've got a lot of innovation in the areas of health. Um, People like Finnabrog and Hughes mushrooms um, now producing vegetarian and and vegan uh, foods. And I'm not saying, I don't think that um, beef and dairy are going to disappear um, from our diets altogether. I mean, I don't think that's the case at all. but I just think the whole health thing is coming to the fore. I'm really amazed even to hear Boris Johnson talk about the impact that his health had on his recovery. So maybe maybe something positive will come out of this, um, in relation to the, the general health of
0: now, it's not often we give people opportunities to blow their own trumpets, but just let's look at your particular organisations, Cormac, first of all, the Ulster Bank, and then Michelle, Food NI. Cormac, how would you say Ulster Bank is supporting agriculture in Northern Ireland right now?
1: Yeah, so I suppose uh, um, uh, at the initial outset, uh, the big thing was the fear that that um, farm prices were going to um, significantly fall. So what we saw first was a significant demand from farmers to go interest only on their on their debt, on their current debt, um, take a capital holiday, repayment holiday on it, some of those for six months, some for a bit longer. And really that was to create some sort of breathing space for them um, in the event of a downturn. Then uh, we had the government um, backed loan schemes, particularly the business, the bounce back loan scheme, um, which was taken up by a lot of farmers. Again, mostly probably as a buffer against any price falls um, and that has been used. Some have used it to clear merchant credit, some have used it to buy an additional livestock. It was relatively easy to apply for. Um, the money was with their accounts within days, and there's no payment in year one and then another five year term a- thereafter. But as the impact of COVID has subsided, um, and we've re- we have now probably in a place where we see it's mostly business as usual lending for the likes of buying land or livestock, um, milk and parlours, that sort of thing. And our lending guidelines to the ag sector. Um, haven't been impacted at all by COVID truthfully as business as usual Um, and I suppose through it all the time of it you know we were fully aware that any downturn experience by farmers was beyond their control the farmer didn't become a bad farmer as a result of this, and therefore um we were always going to be there to support them, and that was the right thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And Michelle, obviously, um, you know, the government has provided support for various sectors, but what way what support have you provided to or, or helped, how have you helped local food and drink producers in accessing you know, the support that they could receive?
2: Well, we kept people um, abreast of all the changes in the support and, you know, when it was announced. But I think the key thing we really did was to raise awareness about the new business models that were emerging. Um, The likes of, you know, Ballylisk that went into milk delivery um, and also delivery of other local products. Um, Also Dale Farm, they reinstated their milk service um, People like even bakeries like French Village, who um who did home kits for people, um such as a pizza kit for all the family to make a pizza at home because I think at one point people were starting to feel a bit um well bored and, and wanted something fun to do um and also then we we put out the message about all the new um farm shops that emerged um and people like uh, Springmount Farm who um, who was a, actually an egg producer but has now really diversified and become a local farm shop. Um, so that that was the crucial thing to, to make people aware that um, you know it was difficult to get into supermarkets. Uh, not that they weren't they were doing a great job, but you know you had to go and queue for a long time. Um, so there were other ways to get your food and there were other ways to get local food. So the key thing we did was to really use social media. Uh, and to make people aware that that they could get local food in other ways and we've seen the emergence actually of quite a new quite a few new business models out of this i mean we've actually um just seen a company launch this week and um, delivering uh food to your your home or delivering a meal to your home that's called just good grub and it has got a healthy angle on it as well um So I suppose really our key role was awareness and getting the the product to consumers through the pandemic
0: yeah and it is those businesses that have adapted or pivoted or been able to see outside the norm and that really have survived and in many cases thrived so what advice would you give to any food or drink producer who's perhaps listening to this today and recognizing the need that they have to they need to adapt to to sustain the business but maybe they don't know where to start or how to start
2: I think that two things I would be saying to um, anybody Anybody wanting to start a food business would be to look at the issues of health and sustainability. Um, What's what's actually really interesting, I think, about the food sector is that people who enter the food sector often do it because of a personal motivation um, to make the best of something or to make the tastiest of something or to make the healthiest. Um, And it's really important, I think, if you're going into a food business, that you have that passion for it and that you have that vibe. The other thing I would say is collaborate. And I know we, we were really disappointed when Balmoral Show was cancelled, but it was actually the networks that had been built up at things like Balmoral Show and Cumber Potato Festival or Cumber Farmers Market for the smaller producers that were invaluable because they were then able to connect with other producers during the pandemic. Um, and that meant that, you know, for example, Ballylisk They are um, primarily a dairy enterprise, but they were also supplying bread, they were supplying potatoes from Wilson's country, they were supplying bacon from Kennedy Bacon. Um, And I saw that across a number of um, business models where people actually collaborated and helped one another, which was very interesting. And um,
0: I just thought that it was a great community spirit. There's great community spirit definitely has come out uh, of all of this. Um, Cormac, similarly, uh, yes, you've you've talked about how it's this whole pandemic has had a perhaps neutral or, or indeed a positive impact on on farmers, but some farmers have diversified too and had to adapt in order to meet the demand. Do you have any stories for us around that?
1: There, there's certainly been some adaptation. All right, Sarah. The truth, um, you know, farmers their their their, their production time, the production cycle is so long. You know, for example, from when a calf is born until it becomes a productive dairy cow, you're at least two years, a beef animal, something similar, um, a pig, probably a year before it's actually, you know, available for meat. So um, it's quite hard just to, to switch on or switch off and very quickly diversify into something else. But all the time, farmers are always scanning, you know, the, the future thinking, well, what do I need to do to meet market demand? And that might be a relatively small thing, for example, being quality assured, meeting Red Tractor standards, or it might be I'm going to make a significant change here and get into something else, and just maybe you know, heads me risks. Um, and for you know, one farmer can look at that and look to the future and say, Do you know what? It's not for me. Um, I'm at a certain age. I don't have a successor coming on, or there's off farm opportunities. Other farmers are saying, Yeah, I definitely see a good future here. I'm willing to do it. And I suppose our general advice always is, Is it something the market actually wants, you know, and therefore you're meeting a, a need? Um, is there any possibility of getting a contract type system? And maybe that contract, you know, is the output price is tied to the input price and therefore you're reducing the risk. The big thing for, for an awful lot of farmers is just what is your cost of production? So um, if you know what it costs to produce the product and you know likely what the market price is going to be, well then you can decide, is that a good enough margin for me to operate in or to invest in, or is that a good enough return that I'm content that that, that makes sense? And in some cases that'll be yes, in some cases it won't. And... Um, Quite often too, you know, and and farming, it's not um, it's not necessarily making a big jump into something else. It's just um, can I do something better? And quite often, you know, it's it's not one major single thing. It's doing a whole lot of things just a little bit better. And whether that's you know, soil sampling, grassland reseeding, grassland management, a reducing your calving interval, improving cattery and facilities, any of those sorts of things, you know, they're all helping. And and um, I suppose. Generally speaking, those farmers that are pushing on progressing, sometimes it's a mixture, both the diversification, but quite often it's just doing what I'm doing that bit better and hope then that that allows me to you know, further grow my business because what I'm doing is giving me the return that I need.
0: Now Cormac, it would be remiss of me not to mention the environment, and there's been a lot of discussion around the impact of COVID nineteen, the positive impact of COVID nineteen on the environment, because uh, research is now showing that lockdown, the travel bans, uh, you know, the cars not being on the road, reduced carbon emissions, and the closure of many manufacturing sites during that time, um, has resulted in a greener world. However, farming and that demand. Uh, for the produce one of the sectors it's often criticized for contribution um, you know to emissions it's continued to grow at pace what does this mean for farmers in the green economy going forward?
1: Well look uh, uh, you're quite right in what you're saying sir and I suppose I generally view it as an opportunity for farmers Um for too long farming is viewed solely you know as a contributor to greenhouse emissions and the carbon footprint but with no mention really that you know our soils and our forests and our hedgerows act as a fantastic sink for carbon. And um, you know, it's now recognized that without farming, there's virtually no chance of the UK or indeed any other economy meeting net zero emissions by 2040. um, Without farming, it's part and parcel of the solution. Um, We often hear about environmental sustainability, but we hear very little about the financial sustainability of farmers and the two have to be linked. And I think now maybe there's an opportunity that the two of those will be linked uh, um, in terms of food production, um, Michelle rightly has talked about the health benefits of, of food that we're seeing now but there's also environmental benefits behind that um, recently the, the new EU farm policy talks about rewarding farmers for their role in capturing and reducing carbon emissions that's a very good start You know, farmers, um, farm land that's used for wind turbines for solar panels, all those sorts of things that are, that are for renewable energy and also it has been proven time and time again that the more efficient a farmer is in producing milk, beef poultry, potatoes, whatever, then the lower the, f- the farm's carbon footprint is. So it makes absolute sense that we ensure that farmers here operate at as efficient a level as possible and that they get rewarded for helping to reduce those emissions. And, you know, um, sometimes we hear suggestion of uh, uh, that our farm output could be exported to another country and we just rely on, on food imports. But the truth of it is those countries are probably or nearly almost certainly producing that food at a higher emission than we are. So it's not fair that we just, you know, displace it or pass it on somewhere else, we have the solution here at home. And I suppose interestingly too, um, it has been noted in the past, you know, when it comes to things that are real pollutants, uh, you know, we think of diesel or fuel or home heating oil, it's the end consumer, it's the polluter who pays. And that makes sense. It's not the producer of the oil. Saudi Arabia doesn't necessarily pay for for greenhouse emissions, but you know, when we fill our cars with diesel, we pay the carbon tax. So um, that makes absolute sense. But yet when it comes to food, the end consumer actually doesn't pay for the carbon that's involved in producing that food, in theory, it could be the producer. And I just think that argument is, is back to front. But look, overall, the green, the climate change, um, it's a huge area, it's a very important area, a piece of work that has to be done. And it's something that farmers and indeed the bank will certainly play a, a significant role in.
0: And Michelle, how do you see food and drink producers adopting a green or greener approach in our recovery? It's something you've touched on already.
2: Well, I think in many ways, Northern Ireland is a great... Um, Sustainability story, but untold. Um, And I would have a lot of respect for you know what the farmers have done, and um, agree a lot with what Cormac has said. Um, I just think we need to maybe talk a little bit more about our sustainability credentials. I do think that sustainability and health are going to be the two two big drivers of the next ten years, and the pandemic has really made people aware of the impact we're having on the environment. The need to reduce plastics, the need to be healthy, and I think all that does produce opportunities for our uh, food production system because we're small, uh, we're small but we're mighty, and I like to think that um, we could really show other regions across the UK the way forward uh, in terms of uh, food, food and drinks sustainability.
1: Just to add to what Sarahs after Michelle's after saying there, Sarah, um you know one of the things the pandemic has shown us is how well we can work together when we need to. Um, you know, the support that has been shown for farmers and for food processors, both, you know, from outside the, like the like, rural support from the Caffrey Advisors, the Ulster Farmers Union, and um, the Department of Agriculture, indeed our own minister, um, you know, who kept ensuring that food kept moving through the, the from the farm to the processors and onto the supermarket shelves. Um, the department held weekly calls with everybody in the supply chain and the sole aim there was, you know, ensuring that that food production was continuing and maintained. Um Mart owners to ensure that you know, March could reopen very quickly and get cattle moving, and that normal trade was as near business as usual as could be possible. So it's fantastic to see when we work together, we can achieve an awful lot.
0: I'm sure both of you would agree that the agri food sector is hugely important, uh, in, in getting us up and running again in the, in the recovery really of, of the local economy. But what do you both see as being the biggest challenges in the sector right now? Uh, Michelle, I'll start with you.
2: Well, you're right. I mean, Northern Ireland is twice as dependent on agriculture and food as any other region in the UK. Um, And I actually think the biggest challenge, I think, is going to be the return of the hospitality sector, um, because that needs to be done in a way that's safe. But it needs to be done in a way that um, allows as many of them as possible to survive. Um, And, you know, I think a third of food and drink. Is consumed in hospitality, or certainly it was prior to the pandemic. So I, I just see that as as the biggest challenge for the industry, finding a safe but profitable way to return uh, to our excellent hospitality sector.
1: Mm-hmm. Cormac, what about you? I suppose from the primary primary producer, um, I, I would agree partly with what Michelle says. Um, I can't remember the actual figure. I think the total UK food bill per year is about one hundred eighty billion, and I think more than half of that is the food sector. So obviously, if the food sector, you know, doesn't get reopened to the extent that we'd hope it would, it certainly will have an impact without a doubt. But I think for uh, the primary producer, for the for the farmer on the ground, probably the biggest single challenge we have is the upcoming Brexit and how, you know, what deal we get there, if any. And um, in theory, Northern Ireland is going to be in a great position in that, um, unlike any other region in the UK, <coughs> or excuse me, or the Republic, we can see it with both the EU and the UK on an equal footing, which is fantastic for us. But that's on the assumption that a deal is done. Um, if no deal is done, really, we are. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a very, very serious um, challenge to, to um, the agri-food sector here. So. Look, we, we don't know the outcome of that, but we hope is that, that some common sense will prevail and we will get the deal as, as uh, we hope we'll get.
0: Well, I suppose during the pandemic, you know, I suppose people's eyes were taken off the Brexit ball um, just while we tried to get through and, and, and see what was going to be normal. Definitely, it feels like we're talking about Brexit again. Michelle, uh, what are your food processors, producers, what are they saying to you? What are their fears right now? Are they the same as Cormac has outlined? the same as
2: Cormac has outlined in that it's a situation that people just don't know the answer to and it it could just um, spin 180 degrees um, very quickly away from what looks like a favorable position for Northern Ireland Um, but we just can't be sure. But let's hope common sense prevails because I I still think Northern Ireland has a very um, good opportunity uh, in food and drink and particularly selling into both the, the England-Scotland-Wales market and into the South of Ireland as well. Um, not, not trying to paint a picture of it will all be just easy because it won't. there will be a lot of hard work involved and, and a lot of challenges depending how Brexit works out. But I, I just hope that common sense prevails and we end up in a, in a
0: better position with access to both markets. Cormac and Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today uh, for what was a really insightful discussion about the impact of COVID-19 on the agri-food sector here in Northern Ireland. Thank you so much. This has been the penultimate episode of Thrive in the New World, our six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Ulster Bank. I've been your host, Sarah Travers, and I'm inviting you to join me one last time in this series as we discuss the big economic issues of the day and the challenges facing businesses in Northern Ireland, including about Brexit, with Richard Ramsey, Chief Economist at Ulster Bank, and Anne McGregor, the Chief Executive of the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce and Industry. But for now, thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.